1: Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 12th of October 2020. Now if I sound a bit glum this week off and on, it's because Dora, the best dog in the world, is uh, on her way to heaven this afternoon, so that's the job I've got to do after recording this podcast. So those of you who are dog people, you'll understand it. Those of you who are not will think I'm being just a sentimental idiot. But Dora, the best dog, you've been a good dog. Right, moving on. This last week for doing grain has been massive, absolutely enormous. The wheat futures prices in London moved up above 180 and traded in between, well, the very highest price was £188 per tonne. Which means that someone who has grain in one of our central stores, registered futures store, could technically sell their grain at that price less the marketing commission. So they're 186.50 x the store. Now that is enormous and way above where we all thought it was going to get to. Now only one lot traded up there. The rest of it kind of traded mainly around about 85, 84, 86, 83. It's currently offered at 83 on the futures, and the best bids about 81. So the market's kind of reached its zenith moment, which the job the futures has to do is to supply grain if there is a lack of supply. And the price has to be good enough to tempt people out of the woodwork. Now, you could argue that whoever was short on this market had to pay too much money for it. But by forcing the issue, if you like, it's encouraged firms like ours to say, well, OK, we've got the wheat, but we ain't going to let it go unless it comes to the value we think it's going to get to at its peak. So it encouraged us to trade our tonnage. So the the big information now is, having announced we weren't going to be tendering, is our book has been turned around. We will be tendering this November. And I don't think that's a shock to anybody, as will a number of other stores. So more physical wheat is going to come onto the market. So the consumers will have some comfort knowing that there is actually physically grain they can get their hands on and they're not going to run out. And therefore, the squeeze that's occurring by farmers not selling it at the moment, is over, because there's enough tonnage around to see everybody right. So, very important week for us, enabled us to go to our farmers, and we haven't got round all of them yet, it's, it's actually quite hard work selling grain, it seems, yeah, i will just put the order in, but when you have to move a fairly big volume of it, you have to work hard at it. And I don't envy some of the bigger buyers in the country, who trade a lot more tons than I do, in going through the process of covering their books Because if you hit it too hard, the whole market moves or stops or runs away from you. So as I say, I'm glad we only trade a few little measly tons each year and don't ever uh, offend anybody, he said. But the key points to remember on this technical squeeze or this increase in price is underlyingly the market is still firm. During this week, the market for November futures traded at its peak at a £2 premium to May futures. So, in other words, November futures at 186, May futures six months later, trading at 184, and offered, which means you could buy futures later in the season £2 cheaper, not pay any rent, not pay the money up front, and still have underlyingly some form of cover for your trading business if you wanted to buy something so that is proof that the physical spot market was starved and people needed to trade it and it also proved that somebody got caught on the wrong side of the futures and they probably won't do that again I would suggest everybody has to learn and somebody somewhere has been caught which is you know we'll call that an educational opportunity for them so with the wheat Trading in excess of 180, that has really been very, very helpful to farmers. It's been a great week. You are the key beneficiaries of this, and the consumers had to pay more money than they wanted to. Now, it's our belief, with this futures tonnage coming onto the market, in between now and Christmas, prices will ease a bit. I don't think they're going to drop like a stone, because there is definitely, underlyingly, a firm world market. There are weather issues on new crop. There's supply issues, there's a big demand in China, so it's looking like the world will remain firm for grains, but it should, in our opinion, have the immediate UK problem eased. So we do see the market coming off a little bit. Longer term, well, it's the old Noel Edmonds game of deal or no deal is the biggest news. We've actively avoided talking about Brexit for a long period of time now because no one really knows and you speculate on your own prejudices. So deal or no deal, if we have a deal, currency will be strong and it will be easier for us to import wheat. So having a deal doesn't actually mean that the prices of grain will go up, it probably means the prices of grain will go down because we can import foreign grain cheaper. And um, We've just seen what Liz trusts, you know, it's let's break the rules on international law and let's break our word on bringing in lesser quality grain. Good old Liz. No deal, which is the stance I think we will take. I think that will just add to confusion for imports. I think it's going to create higher food prices initially. I think the way that Europe will get us back is not necessarily going to be anything to do with the UK. I think the UK will specifically allow stuff through for the first six months, I believe there. They're going to wave lorries through regardless. But I think it's a golden opportunity for the French to ask someone for the paperwork that side of the channel and just go, no. So we shall see. I certainly think there'll be some very negative French media reports coming out shortly after we get to the 31st of December. So currency is going to react to whatever occurs next week and flip your own coin on that. And you tell me if you know the, the absolute answer. Great. Please let me know in the longer term it should be I think easier or there will be imports of foreign product to bring our prices down but that may come in over a year or two or three depending on whether our government survived that long. Milling premiums at the moment over feed have kind of shrunk as the feed wheat price has gone up but probably a bit too much. The millers have been a little bit shy about continuing to pay the premiums that they've been paying quite rightly because in fact You know, imported is relatively perhaps cheaper, and just because our feed wheat price has gone up by an extra tenner, does that mean that they have to keep paying a £20 or £30 premium? No, it doesn't. It's technically out of sync. It's the feed wheat that was the problem. So if you look at values for feed wheat now, I would say November at this point in time is about 178 And if you look forward, we might just start seeing some increments in the price coming back shortly. I think that the Nov and the May are now at parity. And I think if you just wait, the spot will come down a bit. So probably we'll see 180x in the new year sort of really I wouldn't want to pay ATX much before March and then I'm speculating because technically it really isn't worth that with where the May futures are everything will be trading off the May futures as soon as the November comes off the board then there is still some fun to be had I will add on the null futures because it isn't yet tender day, and there is possibly still someone in there who hasn't bitten the bullet and got themselves out of trouble so there might still be some fun and games on that particular market. What should we talk about next? Let's talk about barley next. Firm market, 136x spot feed barley, easily achieved. People have got boat commitments, haven't got the tonnage in there yet. So there's plenty of people trying to buy your barley. And that is a backbone to all barley prices, means the malting barley can't really go down from where the molsters think they should be buying it. That's going to remain firm. It's quite hard to get malting barley into some molsters It is quite interesting that they should be rejecting some stuff. I think they might regret that later on. There's not that much usable up-to-spec barley around, in my view, that's worth the hassle of going to a maltings and getting rejected with. You might as well just take a feed price near to 140 and say, well, that's not far off what I'm being bid anyway. Beans, very firm. It's 205 to 210x depending on who's the most desperate, who's got the boat they want to fill. So there's boats going out of Kingsland and Yarmouth in Norfolk. If you have any beans, there is great demand for feed beans. Moving on to oilseed rape, 3.45, still remaining firm. That will be very sensitive to currency. So if we do get a deal and currency firms, we've got one of the companies that puts a market report out, is saying that they believe there will be a deal and that could take £25 off the rape price. So, you know let's just remember that you are facing quite a significant risk with political issues that we have, and you are the person deciding to take that risk so don't blame the trader if it drops twenty five pound a ton and you haven't booked it It's still not bad at three twenty I'll add, but you know the target was three fifty it might get there again if it does. I think sell it, don't keep messing around so New crop, I've kept out of all of the conversation by commodity. My new crop view at the moment is bullish to firm. There's definitely weather issues in the world. There is a big interest for feed grains going into China. Their pig herd is expanding, there's lots of sows and piglets going over to China. And they are increasing their herd size and they're increasing their purchase of food. So they have had an issue with their harvest and they have a massive demand for food, soya, etc. Soya has a phenomenally large, long position on the futures, which means the speculators, the traders, the the institutions are taking a view that soya remains firm and they are holding a phenomenally long position. Now They're very strong holders and they can squeeze that market very, very high. The issue is at some point they have to take their profit. And if you have a record long position all trying to use the exit at the same time, some people will get out unscathed, other people will get trodden in the rush. So there is a sell-off on that to come, but at the moment it doesn't seem likely and the funds especially are sitting there long. So that is helping again with your prices. But the underlying weather issue on new crop is a very dry area in Russia And if you look at a map of the world and find a decent weather map, you kind of look at the Black Sea to the right of it and to the north of it. And to the east of the Crimea is hot, dry, has been hot and dry all the way through, and there is nothing forecast for 12 days ahead at this point in time. And that is the area that is going to be struggling with what they've put in the ground. They'll have to replant it with something else and that's have implications on next year's production and that has implications on when Mr Putin announces he's not going to export any more tonnage. And, you know, those are the exciting moments. So there could very well be a very firm market next year if that weather continues and if the weather around the world continues to be awkward Right, with that, I think this week's recording is with Brewin Morph, one of Teddy Morph's sons who's built a brewery. I just want to emphasise that there are several beers that I tasted that day, and just for clarity, it was a brewery, so the old phrase about a piss-up in a brewery, luckily I had Josh there to drive me back. So uh, with that, have a great week's trading. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours.
0: The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at jewingrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat.
1: Right, this is the second of the Morph Family podcast, and I've got son Bruin with me. So, hi, Bruin. Hello. Before I go any further, just why are you called Bruin? Because it's very <laughs> ironic, isn't it?
2: It is ironic. I haven't heard that before. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a Dutch name, and it's as simple as my parents liked it and wanted an unusual name. It's, I think it's a name you have to grow into.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it, all, all the way through your life, you had that, uh, you were a brewer then, or something like that. Well, I haven't, weirdly. Uh, and then, of course, the penny
2: dropped. You became for people brewer. when I became a brewer, yeah.
1: Do you think it's a subliminal thing? <laughs> think Teddy, Teddy <laughs> yeah, planned this.
2: Maybe I was always destined for that journey and yeah, I didn't well, know. You don't know, Teddy's yeah.
1: a strange beast. <laughs> um, so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the fact that this farm has decided to not only uh, focus uh, you know, on, on what we've talked about previously with Teddy on his malting barley campaign and mm. his determination for Norfolk to be recognised for its skills, but you've actually gone the whole hog and you've started brewing. So just tell us a little bit about what's going on on this farm.
2: Yes, I mean, I think a good place to start is to say my father, Teddy, as you would have heard, is incredibly passionate about malting barley and that... Has rubbed off on my brother and I in the sense that it's, you know, we've been told that this is a molting barley farm. Obviously, we grow a number of crops, but that's what we were told um, as kind of Brantill. He
1: didn't just tell you that, by the way, lots and yeah. lots and lots of people. Yeah,
2: exactly. So with that in mind, and, and my brother and I kind of in London working jobs, but with one eye on wanting to come back to Norfolk, and we wanted to do something interesting in diversification, something that we were kind of passionate about. And we were obviously, we enjoyed good beer and saw that the market was becoming quite dynamic and growing and changing, and there was a lot of experimentation and it felt right and it felt like a good opportunity to link what my father had been speaking about all the way to you know the end product and actually grow it and actually brew it ourselves you know he'd started the beer shop and we'd been selling local brewers beers that had been brewed using our malt but actually to have it in-house on the farm just seemed like a no-brainer and so we we are now kind of gosh we started in 2017 Yep. so that's sort of three years in and we're brewing, we've got kind of five or six core beers, and we're brewing with our own barley. Let's,
1: let's, let's get to it. Yeah. So, the name of your, your
2: brewery yes. is Malt Coast. And what's your, your number one banker brew? it's a good question there isn't necessarily a number one banker but i I suppose the ipa is the most popular but that's probably due to the fact that it's you know ipa is such a well-known beer right so yeah people go to what they know
1: um and the recipe for that how did you manage to come up with something that tasted
2: well the whole process was it was a good 18 months of preparation to plan the brewing itself my brother and i went on a practical brewing course in manchester Mm Mm-hmm. We then had a consultant brewer work with us for the first six months of iteration and help with our recipe development. And kind of from then we've guided in our own way. So we had a lot of help to set up and, you know, really put in some serious hours in terms of learning kind of the background and then went for it. And a, and a recipe's a bit like if you know the basics, then you know you're not going to produce a bad beer. It's, yeah. it, the difficulty is producing an excellent beer. Yeah. Anyone can produce a drinkable beer, but yeah. it's producing an excellent beer. And that's what, you know, everyone's chasing, right?
1: So it t- tastes good from the first glass.
2: <laughs> it tasted...
1: Second, third one's always tasted, tastes okay. Yeah, then, it's always Then, tastes then you're in the, in the zone, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to get to that point, do you feel?
2: I mean, we're now confident and we're brewing and and writing our own recipes and all the rest of it. But I mean, I think that first beer, we definitely had to have a few shots at it before Mm -hmm. we were really comfortable with, you know, and it wasn't just the recipe, it was the process. It's all very well writing a good recipe, but you have to execute that. It's like baking, right? It can be a complicated cake. You've got all the ingredients, you know, the recipe's right. But actually, if you get the timings wrong, the temperature's wrong. Yeah then things go wrong. So, you know, that's the other side to it. And we've probably made every mistake, hopefully, possible. So Yeah, one would hope so. You have to do that. You have to do that, exactly. It's frustrating, but you sort of feel that there can't be another mistake, and then there is one. But um, in a good way, and it's all constructive. At the end of the day, the beer is well-received, and it's a premium product. I think that's the other thing. We're not trying to be the new, you know, Adnams. That's not the vibe. The vibe is small batch, independent, high quality premium beer. And
1: yeah. Are you in a very, you know, I mean, I, I guess the bulk of your sales are in this local region.
2: Yeah. I mean, 50-50, London and Norfolk. Okay. London, I suppose, was, we felt that anyone could sell to the local deli. And that's not actually true, but we felt that. Yeah. And that that wouldn't prove that the beer is, you know, yeah, no, I, legs, I know what you mean by that. Yep. yep. You know, and so we wanted to try in the most competitive market in the UK, which is London. We, at before that time, they all, before they all left, that was. Before everyone <laughs> left. Yeah. And then we, uh, and we were transitioning back from London to Norfolk anyway at the time. And so had a lot of, roots and contacts in london and so that's where we kind of pushed initially and so you know the beers in some kind of multiple michelin-style restaurants across the city and really top bars and that's that's so where we just got... i mean
1: so let's just ask the question that's, yeah. that's obvious to me which is you know obviously you had a career mm. both you and max your mm. brother had a career mm. in london mm. and you gave up mm. the trendy world mm. pre all of this covid rubbish yes and said we're gonna live a different life yes yes is that, is it, or, or I can make more money, or what would it? <laughs>
2: no, the money, obviously, unfortunately, <laughs> is not the case, although we hope that will eventually get there. I mean, it comes down to lifestyle. And I think you get, you know, we had a good decade in London. And in mm. your 20s, it's a fantastic place to be career, everything, you know, it's a chance to earn good money. And then, you know, for me, personally speaking, my, my own behalf, you know, I got into my 30s. And I started to think about where I wanted to be more permanently is London, you know, and I got married, and mm. was thinking about then obviously having children. And I had a wonderful lifestyle in, in Norfolk in terms of being brought up here and I was thinking do I want that for my children and you know we've obviously been involved with the farm and we're always been coming up for weekends all the time but I think it's that thing is suddenly you know
1: well your childhood of th- climbing trees and breathing fresh air is something you can't you haven't got the trees that you can climb down there because no
2: and space for us if you've been brought up in the countryside you know you might be lucky enough to own a flat in London or whatever but you know yeah. it just doesn't it doesn't stack up in the same way and if you want to have a fight with your brother
1: yeah. all the neighbours can hear can't they yeah because if you do it up here yeah. you know, especially if you're the older brother you can take them out and they, there's nothing no, no one, and they just have to go home bleeding <laughs> and, no, and it's character building for it them is. obviously and it's victorious for
2: you and no one knew it happened you <laughs> can just deny it I, I, I know all this I was a younger brother <laughs> yeah it's absolutely I mean there's, so, there's a lot of opportunity up here to have a good Property. time and a good lifestyle and, and the farm obviously has become more meaningful as you you know not only is it the route to have that lifestyle so you have to make the farm work to be able to live up here right that's mm. the difficulty of rural yep. areas yes. right it's yep. still very well wanting to live in a beautiful rural spot but actually how do you make it pay yeah <laughs> um, and so the farm is the route to that and the important thing is it's not like we one day we suddenly stopped living in london we had the opportunity to do it in stages so i sort of reduced my hours was lucky enough and worked on a consultancy basis in london and so i was able to transition up here more okay. slowly
1: so the beginning of the brewing was not you didn't it wasn't a hard and fast
2: okay i'm up here what happens now it was i'm up in norfolk four days a week and three days in london so i had the flexibility and you still go down there much obviously you're selling selling your product yeah so we have to go down for meetings quite regularly and we're selling our product and we have our distributor down there and how do you keep relevant how do you keep fresh down down in that incredibly competitive market i think actually ironically it's sticking to the original message you know everyone's trying to outdo each other in new and innovative ways and some of it works and some of it doesn't but actually our uniqueness in London is the fact that we're based on our own family farm we grow the barley, yeah. it's an authentic real genuine store, it's not made up it's not trying to Yeah gra- no authentic is the word you know it? we're not trying to grapple for some sort of credibility rule, this is what we do and we've found that a lot of consumers just really love and obviously more importantly in terms of getting to the consumers buyers, would love that idea, they love the traceability, I think the bit which we knew we had to get right was the brand and the design because you can have an authentic rural story but that can come across as fuddy-duddy and you know a little bit like you say it's not cutting edge no no absolutely and so actually with the branding we went to a London outfit mm -hmm. who had two guys who were brought up in Norfolk but since opened a design studio in Hagerston so they were right on the edge of everything and they kind of brought to life our brand in a way that we knew would appeal to London drinkers but told the story of Norfolk okay Okay.
1: so I mean in terms of now, now everybody's got their appetite whetted listening to this. So how does a mere
2: mortal buy your beer if they want to get some? <laughs> you can go online and buy it from the website which if, is which is maltcoast.com so that's relatively simple and then obviously the real ale shop the shop on the farm and delis all around norfolk and beer shops and restaurants across london but i i mean if you go on the website it's your first point of call if you're anywhere else in the uk and you're in you're in the odd local pub and we're in the odd local pub we actually we made a conscious decision which was thankfully the right decision in times of covid to focus on bottles and cans rather than draft yep. it's not that we don't do draft it was just more that if we sold a few kegs great but that's not our business model and it's harder to grow you have to obviously to, to achieve volume that you work harder but the margins are higher with mm-hmm. bottles and cans than they are with draft, and there's a there's uh, a longer storage period. Exactly, and there's all of this thing. So you know, and obviously now with everything that's happened, it proves that we would have been more exposed if we'd been a pub based, yeah, brewery absolutely in that, in uh, that terrible beer. Um, yeah, and don't get me wrong, we obviously took a hit, but it would have been you know much 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 worse. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where we are. So our beer been in a number of local pubs, you know, the White Horse and the and the Morsen Anchor and other, but it's it's on as a guest every now and again, rather than us you know on on tap constantly. The one Brankster.
1: Just yeah. dropping in the local name, just in case you yeah. venture to Norfolk, anyone listening. That's true. <laughs> so, you know, as far as expanding pub trade is concerned, obviously mm. they've got their draft beers, which mm. are going to be the kind of... Mm. I mean, the percentage of sales, I guess, like that isn't anywhere near as good as the, the shop, which you advertise fairly.
2: Yeah, the shop's obviously a great a great seller and obviously the del- you know up here we have, we're lucky enough to have a lot of farm shops mm. you know which are essentially the, I mean they're not dedicated beer shops but they're busy mm. especially in summer and Christmas time and our beer is available in those delis and mm. some other delis across the country as well and that sells well Definitely.
1: Okay. Back to the, the moving up from London mm. thing. You know, obviously you had a wife. Who, is yes. she a Norfolk girl? Or is
2: she's she... not. She's... she's. Um... So Has she taken to the locals? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, how have the locals taken to her? <laughs> uh, um, she's Iranian and she, she was brought up in London but lived in all sorts of places around the world. Um, so she's very international-minded and so Norfolk was a very different place uh, okay. to what she was used yeah. to. But... The caveat is that she loves the great outdoors, she loves the sea. Does she love the beer? And she likes the beer, she loves the beer, (laughs) loves beer, thankfully. And I think the caveat is that, you know, as you were kind of saying, I was so aware that it was important that she wanted to live up here and enjoyed it, that, Mm. you know, we sort of did it in stages. It wasn't this, like, pull the ripcord, right, you're out of London, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're now in a cottage in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, she'd be at home weeping
1: now, yeah, otherwise, yeah, yeah, you'd need yeah, it to, yeah, needed to grow into it. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. It is a toughie if you're,
2: yeah, you're not from. And yeah. it's all very well, exactly. In the summer, we always said, I've always said to people, you know, that it can you can live a Norfolk summer and think it's the best place in the world, but you know, unless you've lived here in January, February, March, with
1: an easterly coming yeah, up from, it, from it, the Urals, it, exactly, me. with
2: yeah. not a soul for five miles and nothing <laughs> going on, then you know, unless you've kind of can find a way of enjoying that or at least tolerating that, then. Just get, get some logs for the fire. That's the highlight <laughs> yeah, of the day. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, but this solitude is a good thing when there's a <laughs> pandemic, I'm glad. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, I mean, obviously your brother, he also did the same.
2: It's a funny thing. It's, You're it's going to all, speak for him now? Yeah, I'm going to speak for him. I mean, it's sort of mirrored me exactly. I mean, he's my younger brother, so he copies me, right? But, um, yeah, obviously. <laughs> this is your podcast. He's gone. <laughs> yeah, New he's Atlanta. gone. He's done. He doesn't can't think for himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he, he was
1: on, I'll say Max was on BBC <laughs> Breakfast yeah, he on, uh, was on yesterday B- morning, wasn't he? He was
2: on BBC BBC Breakfast. So the, the the listening figures
1: for the Doing Grain podcast are slightly <laughs> lower <laughs> yeah. than BBC Thank Breakfast. Thankfully,
2: (laughs) he didn't diss me on Breakfast News, but... um, I
1: was say, he's gone. He was here a little while ago. Yeah,
2: he's now on for another media interview. (laughs) Good morning, America.
1: (laughs) You did get the the lucky straw on that one, didn't you? So he's also... He's doing exactly the
2: same thing. I mean, he's been a bit behind in the sense that I sort of started making the move a little bit earlier, but he is doing exactly the same kind of transitioning from London up here. He's now up here, but he... Again, wife, married, child, a year or two later than me, Mm. but so yeah it kind of it did work so you can imagine and there's been a lot of balls in the air and sometimes you can't catch them all but we
1: well, working with your brother must be you know i have two brothers uh, yeah. and we've never done the same career and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful and so are they
2: yeah it's an interesting one i mean we enjoy it i mean it, i think the beauty of it is one we are very close and we always have been but mm. we're also we tell each other when we disagree which is most of the time and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean it's constructive we do view the world in a different light that's really healthy um yeah. you know he is probably he's more willing to take risks and kind of let's go for it and do this and do this. And I'm perhaps a little bit more cautious in that kind of strategic way. And we sort of meet in the middle. But also, just generally, we, we don't let things fester. And I think that's what makes it work, right? Well, if he's saying something, I'm just that's just not not how I'm viewing it. And we'll have a row, but there's no ill feeling. You Obviously. both
1: need this to, to succeed, don't you? 100. Know, so there's the motivation. You've got to say what you think, and you
2: know. you're prepared to say what you think because it's not a game for us. Like, are they going to go to HR? Mm. Are they going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, is this this whole thing that goes on? And you know, you can't it means that you can't be honest or that you don't know them so personally so you know are they going to take offense and for months just about that comment rare is
1: is it if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking of a colleague at this particular moment in time you know just get, don't hold it against them and be calm and understanding I
2: think that's i think yeah exactly be we all, we all be, work with those guys. and try and be honest with each other yeah yeah I, Generally, I don't mean that in a nasty way. Just, you know, try and say what you're feeling in a constructive way because otherwise things, yeah, that's where that's where problems lie. So who, who's the
1: better brewer? Mm. <laughs> Gosh,
2: I don't know. I mean, I do more of the practical stuff in the brewery, but that's probably because I had more time early on to do Did, it.
1: Okay, so does he ever taste one of your batches and go,
2: oh, <laughs> just hopeless? I mean, that has happened, <laughs> <laughs> but rarely. I mean, we kind of don't, it's interesting that you've, Said your batches. We haven't framed it in that way yet. um <laughs> it's, like, it's our beer. I see that batch next. hasn't sold. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, and we do tend to chip in. Like on a brew day, we've realized what actually works best is if we're both there brewing. And I don't mean both together the whole day. It just, if we're both, I'll mash in, then he'll start the transfer. Then I'll go and have a meeting or a phone call or this or do some work on the computer or we we'll go to the orchard or farming or whatever else might be. But it means there's this flexibility throughout the day. Whereas, because brewing such a long day, you're kind of, it's hard to be trapped to it. So actually, two of you is really useful.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you've touched on that because obviously we have went through the, the dynamic of the barley and uh, as the basic ingredient with, with Teddy. Mm. You've just mentioned the orchard because mm. that's what little bro was on the mm. uh, on TV for, wasn't it? Talk us through the orchard.
2: The orchard was a opportunity that came about totally kind of, we weren't expecting it. And essentially, my great uncle planted the trees in the early 70s. It's on the Holcomb estate as well. Uh, it's a tenanted situation. But he planted the trees, and my and it since passed to his daughter uh, Teddy's cousin, and she wanted to retire and both Holcomb to their credit and us wanted it to remain in the family so it kind of just got presented as this you know do you want to do this do you see an opportunity in this and so it came about I think at the right time as we were kind of basically up here permanently and so more and so what's in the orchard it's sort of three and a half thousand trees mainly plums 36 varieties of plums gauges damsons apples but mainly plums gauges and damsons it's a beautiful spot and essentially from The season starts in mid-July and finishes mid-September and there's a stall at the Orchard where customers will either come and buy the fruit direct and or pick your own. Mm -hmm. So end of season
1: now, is it over? End
2: of season's tomorrow.
1: Is it? yes okay so that's the end of that that's, there is no more there
2: is the no trees. more yeah when they're gone they're gone and then it's a question of preparing for next year and replanting trees that have died and cutting things back and the, the uh, opportunity with that business is obviously the, the products related to the plums so you know we we do a sweet plum vinegar we have jam, we have honey, bees in the orchard, and we sell those products to local delis. And, you know, so there's kind of an expanding on that is where we saw the opportunity. Have you uh, snuck any into your beer yet? <laughs> so that's the plan, is to do a, a plum beer. Um, okay. Obviously, just there's so much on at the moment, but we definitely, that is 100% on the to-do list. I have a history
1: of uh, criticising people for chucking things into beer and mm. ruining beer by mm. putting fruit in it. But if you've got a lot of plums that you need to utilise, mm. then there's a perfectly good reason for using yeah it's a good reason
2: but I'd agree with you that's allowed yeah it is allowed Um, (laughs) I'd agree with you that often it's just like how can we make a new thing and there isn't really any thought into what it tastes like, how it stands No, no, look, up. We,
1: we, we had a debate with um, Susie and Claire, who previously edited uh, the podcast, would end up to wind me up buying fancy cans with stupid logos and yeah. just crazy yeah. stick-out-on-the-shelf cans. The, the beer was shite, yeah, largely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and it had grapefruit in it or yeah. pineapple or something. Yeah. And uh, But it was all about the can, and yes. if people are buying beer on the basis of cans, yeah. Yeah. then well done you. But yeah. they aren't people who are going to come back and keep buying beer, are they? No.
2: No, no, and again, it comes down to your market, right? I mean, I'd argue that most of the people buying those sort of cans are in their twenties, and they probably do like them, (laughs) you know. And they weren't brought up on they weren't brought up on bitters and ales and Mm. all the rest of it. So it's a different world, and yeah. But for us, we're we'll just experiment with it and see where we get to. Do you have a view on lager? Lager? I mean. I never used, I, I was, I mean, lager was, is fantastic on a hot day. And actually, lager, the quality of lager has been improving massively over the last few years, but that's from an independent perspective. I don't mean the big boys. Mm. Their lager's still sh- still shit. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, don't uh, cut that Actually, Euro fizz is a phrase someone used to be polite, which is kind of like yeah. randomly yellow and a bit fizzy. Yeah, exactly. Just Let's put some just, lime in there and, just, it and it just, might taste it's just, okay. It's
2: just not good. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some now good independent small lager producers in the UK.
1: No, there is. Um, there are, Yeah, but it brewed differently to this great big mass-produced oh, shop.
2: Oh, 100%. The mass-produced stuff is pasteurized for a start. Mm, yeah. I mean, all the rest of it. I mean, it's, it's ripped out all the flavor and character in pursuit of a low price and an incredibly long shelf life.
1: Well, uh, my favorite phrase, don't take the piss out of lager. It needs
2: all <laughs> the flavor it can get.
1: True. <laughs> so t- now teddy is in charge of when we sample beer i think this is the best moment i yeah. think we should sample one are you are you allowed to break rank and just grab one or not i
2: can i might need to grab ted anywhere he's put them but hold on one moment okay
1: let's do that okay so that's, this is great if you were here to see this uh luckily it's uh you can't see my ugly face but uh there's about 15 bottles here which is great so goodness knows where we start um <laughs> I think what you choose, which is uh, which one should we start with? And Teddy's iced the glasses. Teddy's iced
2: the glasses. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe start with the, the lightest first, which is, well, jo- which Josh is what here. You, you, can, you genuinely can do when you're tasting beer professionally, is start with something light and move up. Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, you can open that, Josh. Okay, the farm table saison. So the talk. idea
2: is the saisons were brewed in France and Belgium for can farm you, workers. Can you pour it? Originally. Okay. A bit like, you know, in the vineyards. Cool. And, yeah, just a... So this is just literally meant it, it's light. It's, it's very depressing. fresh. Isn't yeah, it? it's very fresh. It's obviously a thing with the Saison. It's, it's a specific yeast strain. Yeah, so you get that through. It's an unusual taste in that respect. Yeah, it's
1: a, it's a, it's a lovely summer beer, isn't mm.
2: it? That's the point. It's a really good summer beer. And that's what they were brewed for, is for, yeah, historically, the guys that were bringing in the corn out on the fields, and it was all done manually, they'd be given whatever you could brew on the farm you know a weak beer that is a nice beer that is 3.6 isn't that weak is it it's kind of
1: like a standard session beer
2: well in the pretty weak i mean in the new world of beer that is weak okay so beer has become ever stronger in the last 10 years and so that's
1: the the norwich beer festival in 1979 (laughs) when i was too young to really be in there and they had a head cracker yes that was two and a half times this I, I, I,
2: i can imagine yeah I can yeah, imagine.
1: Was the Dalgetty trip to Norwich Beer Festival. <laughs> and uh, the traders took a couple of us youngsters along. And everybody got completely smashed out of their faces. Right. And then can... one of them drove home. Oh, oh man, gosh. That's a story. Yeah. But well, this was 1970. Yeah, like yeah. right. You could reverse home all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Okay. So that's that's first one of the. I, I like that. Good starter. That's a good, solid eight out of tenner. Because I'm more of a, an established IPA bloke. So I know, yeah. you know that's got a bit sort of yeah. lightness, spiciness, or whatever yeah. you want to call it. exactly
2: so this one is a pale ale again this isn't i mean the taste is very different but it's the same ballpark in terms of body light session but perhaps a bit more of a traditional pale pale ale was what harvest beer was in my dad's farm right exactly so it's more it's the english equivalent of saison basically uh in that way and the and the subtle difference is what well, it has um, totally different malt used, totally different yeast, totally different hops. But the way it comes across is the main difference in taste is that it's a cleaner taste, and the malt comes through more than the yeast. Yeah, I get that. Um, you can actually taste the malt. You know, yes, this one yeah, is you very malt-forward beer yes, for a, a pale, whereas the, the saison's a bit more of a complex light beer.
1: Arguably slightly darker in colour.
2: You're right, a little darker. It's, you know, it's just a rung up the ladder in terms of slightly more, slightly stronger in every way. And everything is marisotto with you, isn't it? Everything's marisotto, yeah. We have to add some specialist malts in for colour, Mm -hmm. but the base malt, which is what the brewer decides to use as their foundation malt for, you know, is always our own Marisotta.
1: Yeah. I mean, you grow other malting barley, as you know. Yes, we do. That
2: goes for distilling with the contract.
1: Indeed, yeah. So your own distillery?
2: Yeah, well, exactly. Next one on the list right
1: that's a fabulous beer that's, I really like that one we'll give it a 10 because I'm <laughs> feeling it's, generous it's free and it's uh, and no it reminds me of yeah Harvest at Home when I was a kid when I used to pretend I liked it when I was about 12 <laughs> 10, 9 whatever it was I know what's coming it's got to be the IPA next isn't it
2: yeah let's do IPA thanks Josh I've got to say, your
1: skills are far greater than Webby's. I know he he feels he's picked on each week, but if he learned how to pour a beer, he'd just be let out of jail, wouldn't he?
2: So this one's... Great things here. (laughs) There's more hop. That's the nature of an IPA, right? It's a higher hopped beer. Yeah and it's stronger and it's, uh, malt, you, you got the malt you mm. got the yeah that's lovely it's bitter as well I should say so an IPA compared to a pale yeah that's nice you would be more bitterness you have more hop generally stronger it's kind of that's the vibe do you
1: find you know, <clears throat> there's lots of people who are experts on beer now Yeah. There? there's lots of real beer stuff. yeah of course Yeah. and you are a brewer so you you know you must sometimes have to suffer <sighs> someone talking complete and absolute yeah trash. I
2: mean I mean, occasionally people talk as you say it just doesn't make sense but
1: oh I know yeah. I can, I can taste the yeah you know, and all that. It's like, no, yeah i know there no, you go you just made that up you made that up exactly
2: yeah <laughs> but if they're enjoying it that's the main thing yeah well obviously or yeah. well, if they bought it yeah, if anyway. they bought it and enjoying <laughs> it yeah right that's a 10 out of 10 thank you and the final one is the amber which is although less alcohol than the ipa it's darker color smoother some roasted malt comes into it again yeah, more of an more of an autumn winter beer your IPA is slightly lighter than that, isn't Touch it? Touch lighter. Yeah. yeah. Don't sound like an
1: expert. Though. I mean, I must admit, for you listeners, having a pint each of all of these is a bit... Um, I'll probably start
2: slurring yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So that's smooth, slightly sweeter. Get the sweet roasted malt through there. So, yeah. That's really good. It's a nice one. It's obviously, the, the head... Holiday destination in the UK now is North
1: Norfolk, and as long as you sanitise your hands and, uh, and don't breathe on us, um, you need to come to this beer shop and buy some of these beers. I've given you one eight out of ten and three ten out of tens out of the beers <laughs> I've just tasted. So, bearing in mind my my marking is, is remarkably low with some of the stuff that Susie and Claire gave us. <laughs> This is a place to come and buy your beer. Well, thank you. Good. Right. So with that, you know, one, your generosity of supplying lots of beer to us, but really. two, the dynamic of what you're doing here and adding to what Teddy stuck his neck out to do several years ago. He really did. Yeah. You may or may not know yeah, it, no, just how didn't. much he stood out there. Yeah. And lots of local farmers were, you know, yeah. idiot or yeah. whatever. He yeah. really got some grief for what yeah. he did. Yeah. But to not only see it through yeah. and end up having a brewery on yeah. his own farm, I think, you know, you two boys have done him proud. Good. He's not in earshot. <laughs> so, you know, he, every now and again, I've said about walking the walk or yeah. talking the yeah. talk, Teddy walks the walk. Yeah, and he does. credit to him. And I'm so delighted that, A, you've done this, and obviously come home and given your kids <laughs> the opportunity to grow up somewhere yeah. gorgeous. Uh, but, two, you've delivered on a dream, if you like, for him. Um, so, good on you. And thank you so much for, for coming nice. on. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's
2: been a pleasure. Thank Cheers. you very much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released, and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263-731550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.